I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 11. Mark 11. We're continuing our study through the Gospel of Mark. We're coming down to the end. You see that a quarter of the book, just about a quarter of the book, is spent on the final week of Jesus' life. It's the culmination of his mission to earth. The first half of the book of Mark tells us a lot about who Jesus is, as we see many of his miracles, uh, many of uh, his healings. And then the second part tells us about the mission of Christ, what he came to do. And here in this final week that we're entering in, the culmination of what he came to do as he goes to the cross. Today we're looking at the triumphal entry. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing, untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David! Hosanna in the highest! And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. In the 1984 film Footloose, there is a song performed by Bonnie Tyler. Hopefully it won't be stuck in your head for the rest of the day. The song is entitled Holding Out for a Hero. Maybe you've heard it. It goes like this. I won't sing it to you. I'll just tell you the words. Where have all the good men gone? And where are all the gods? Where's the streetwise Hercules to fight the rising odds? Isn't there a white knight upon a fiery steed? Late at night I toss and I turn and I dream of what I need. I need a hero. I'm holding out for a hero till the end of the night. He's got to be strong and he's got to be fast. And he's got to be fresh from the fight. I need a hero. I'm holding out for a hero till the morning light. He's got to be sure and it's got to be soon. And he's got to be larger than life. Well, I hope you're not going to spend the rest of the sermon singing that song in your head. But we all have needs of heroes. Have you ever wondered why? Why do, we, why do we look to heroes all the time? Well, the answer is very simple. Uh, we look to heroes. We, we make heroes. We put heroes in our lives because it's the story of creation. It's the story uh, of the entire earth and the universe. It's the story of God creating everything and then uh, mankind rebelling. The world is broken And then Jesus Christ, the hero, comes in and he saves the day. Jesus Christ is the ultimate hero and this story is woven into the very fabric of the universe. We cannot help but have hero stories and hero worship. It's the story of creation. We're looking for that rider on the white horse. And Jesus is actually that hero that we're all looking for and we don't really, may may not know it. Well, Jesus rides into Jerusalem in our text today, and he receives a hero's welcome. 
as the people identify him as that great king spoken of in the Zechariah prophecy that we read earlier. And you see why they're excited. As Jesus would come and he would do all these great things, conquering all their enemies. Well, today, I want us to focus on the significance of one curious detail in this account. And that's this, the fact that the king, King Jesus, rides into Jerusalem, not on a white stallion, but rather on a little donkey. He doesn't come in like uh, uh, all kings and generals do, riding on the white horse. He comes in riding on a lowly donkey, specifically a foal, and even more specifically, a colt. Now, if like me, you did not grow up on a farm or around horses, I know some of you uh, know a lot about horses, but uh, these terms, I'm going to explain them to you because I didn't know and I wanted to be clear on it. Uh, a foal refers to a horse, or in this case, a donkey, that is one year old or younger. Now, a male foal is called a colt, and a female foal is called a filly. So, the fact that Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey colt is a symbolic act on his part, and it tells us something about the characteristics, the character, and the person of Jesus Christ, this great king that we follow and worship today. The person and character of King Jesus is our focus today. We want to look at this hero that we have before us. And I've chosen three things which this act of riding into Jerusalem on this colt symbolizes for us today. Jesus is three things, and I've put them there in the bulletin. Jesus is the Holy Savior, he's the humble king, and he's the healing Lord. There are other things as well, but we'll look at these three today. First, verse 1 and 2 tells us, uh, among other things, that Jesus is a holy Savior. It uh, tells us there that Jesus sends the disciples out, two of them, and says, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied, in this detail, on which no one has ever sat. Now, this colt has not yet been used like an ordinary donkey would have been used. People would have ridden them, used them as a beast of burden. But this little colt is not old enough. He hasn't, been, hasn't had anything done with him yet. Now, when you look at the Old Testament, there are very specific laws uh, for animals devoted to a sacred use. Uh, They are to be animals, it says, in several places in the Old Testament that have never been put to an ordinary use. They've never borne the yoke. They've never carried a burden. For example, 1 Samuel 6, verse 7, it tells us there that when the sacred Ark of the Covenant was being returned to Israel from Philistia. The Philistines had captured it, and it gave them all kinds of troubles. So they were right, let's send this thing back. So God gave instructions on how the, covenant, uh, how the Ark of the Covenant was to be returned to, to Israel from the Philistines. It was stipulated that the animals transporting the Ark must have never been yoked before. And so that's how the Ark was transported back. Now, of course, the Ark of the Covenant was a sacred object, And therefore, all the animals transporting the ark must also be sacred. They had never done any of the normal work uh, of an animal. They were set apart for this special task to transport the sacred ark. Uh, 
Now, Jesus Christ, of course, of course, is holy. He's set apart for a special use. He came to earth for a specific, special purpose. And it's, we're coming to the culmination of that purpose here in the book of Mark. And Jesus here is coming in, riding on that donkey. That special donkey. One, used, one who is going to have a special task is riding on a special donkey. The people are welcoming him as the promised Messiah, the king, and rightfully so. They're telling us, they're shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But we know the rest of the story. We know that Jesus is not yet going to finish fulfilling that Zechariah prophecy of conquering all the enemies. But he's coming in to die. Not to take up rule at this point, but to die in the place of sinners. He's the supreme, holy sacrifice for sin. He's coming to Jerusalem for this sacred purpose and it's appropriate that he is carried into Jerusalem on a colt set apart to transport him. Just like the ark was brought back to Jerusalem using those sacred animals. Now, uh, I don't know how accurate it is, but you know, if you've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, they have a a rendition of the Ark of the Covenant there. Uh, It's a box, and that's how it's described in Scripture, covered with gold, and it's got angelic beings on the top. And on the top, that that part with the angelic being is called the mercy seat. And when God gave Moses the specifications of the Ark of the Covenant, specifically the mercy seat, he told them this from Exodus 25. You shall put the mercy seat on the top of the Ark, and in the Ark you shall put the testimony that I shall give you. That's the Ten Commandments. And here's what he says. There I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you. Now, how can we meet God? We don't have to go to the temple anymore. We don't, the ark of the covenant is not there, and that's not where God meets. The Bible tells us that God meets us in the person of Jesus Christ. There is one God, Paul wrote to Timothy and said, There is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. So, it's appropriate that the ark was carried by sacred animals. That was the place where God and man met in the Old Testament. It's even more appropriate that Jesus Christ is carried by a sacred animal. He is the Holy Savior. Now, how do we respond to this? If he has done this for us, what should our response be to that grace? Well, put it kind of in a silly way, we should be cults for Christ. And please no one form a club or anything that says cults for Christ. That that would be kind of silly. But what I'm saying is this. Just like that cult was devoted totally and exclusively to Christ's service, we should be devoted totally to Christ's service. To be used by Him to further His agenda not our own agenda, to be holy as He is holy, to reflect the One uh, who is our King whom we follow. So riding on the colt that has never been ridden is a reminder that Jesus is special. He's riding in for this sacred purpose. And the fact that He rides in at all points us to His person and character. Jesus is a majestic King. He is a King, but He's a humble King. And that brings us to the second point. Jesus is a humble King. Now, you notice, uh, as you read through Mark, Jesus has already walked all the way to Jerusalem. 
But for the last two miles, he decides we're going to hop on a colt and ride in 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 this manner. Why did he do that? Well, because that is the position of a dignitary. He's not just walking in as a normal person. He's coming in uh, like kings and generals entered into a city. Uh, He was riding with an entourage to the cheers of the people. The conquering hero admired by the throng. It's kind of the equivalent of a ticker tape parade in New York City. But Jesus puts a twist on that thing. Instead of riding in on a white stallion, he rides in on this little colt. A donkey less than a year old. He's riding in on this undersized donkey. It's hardly the kingly means of transportation that he's chosen. So imagine someone being honored by a ticker tape parade in New York City. You know, usually they're riding in convertibles that are fancy like Cadillacs or Lincolns or something really, really fancy and expensive like that. Imagine someone being honored in a ticker tape parade, but they're riding in a 1976 Ford Pinto. I remember my family, my father, who, who was a real manly man, uh, he, my mom had somehow convinced him to buy a 1976 Ford Pinto, orange with the wood grain side paneling. Very nice. He went to the bank one day and someone admired it and he sold it to him on the spot. He hated that car so much. And I'm sure he went out and bought a truck immediately to cleanse his soul. But you can imagine someone uh, being honored, riding in a ticker tape parade in New York, but riding in some silly transportation. And that's what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is juxtaposing a triumphant riding in with a humble and lowly means of transportation. Well, this just means that this king is coming in not to make war, but to make peace, to reconcile, not to divide, to save, not to kill. He comes to suffer, to serve. He comes with humility. He comes in weakness. He rides in to die. He knows exactly what he's doing. Now, yes, in one sense, he is riding in to conquer, he is going to conquer death and hell and, he, and sin. But he does that through laying down his life. He doesn't wield a sword like kings and generals would have done as they rode into the city to the admiring throng. Rather, he is pierced by a sword as he rides in and is crucified. Now, what does this mean for you and me? Uh, Jesus is the king who comes in weakness. Therefore, his kingdom is only entered through repentance and admitting your need. And it is lived out in, in us as we give ourselves to others sacrificially, uh, knowing the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ as we serve others. A servant is not greater than his master, Jesus said. And if he comes to serve and to give his life as a ransom, uh, to be humble, then What room do we have to be proud or self-righteous? We should be humble and broken. Now, yes, one day Jesus will ride in on a fine white horse. And that's what the people of Jesus' day didn't understand. They they thought Jesus came, the Messiah came in one fell swoop, and and everything was going to be uh, the conquering hero on the white horse. But no, Jesus rides in, he conquers death, and then in a second phase, he's going to return again, this time on a white horse, Revelation 19 tells us about it. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, 
and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he is a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet, who in his presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. It's a rather harrowing scene that we read in Revelation 19 of Christ's return and his conquering all the enemies of his people. But I would much rather deal with the humble king on the colt than the rider on the white horse. One day he will return in strength and in might, and then it will be too late. Jesus is inviting us today to be his friend, to be even his child. He's humbling himself and laying down his life so that we could have life, so that we could be free from sin and free from death and free from judgment. So humble yourself now before this meek king. If you do this, you will begin to experience the touch of the healing Lord, which brings us to our third point. Jesus is the healing Lord. Now, I have never spent much time around horses, as I've mentioned before, or donkeys for that matter. Uh, some of you have. I have, however, watched enough cowboy and horse movies uh, to know that horses or donkeys or any animal for that matter, they are never happy when a human being hops on for a ride the first time. Uh, they don't make movies like they used to, like The Man from Snowy River or Black Beauty, horse movies. Uh, but who doesn't love that inevitable scene in all the horse movies where the cowboy tries to break the bucking bronco? Uh, get that horse or donkey under control. Or even worse, you always have that terrible scene in those movies where the child or some young person, some unqualified person decides they're going to jump on the horse and try to break it and they think they know better than everybody else and of course the child gets thrown into the fence and there, there's some tragedy, tragic accident or something like that. Try this at home. Get yourself a young colt that has never been ridden. Now that would be difficult enough to jump right on the back of that thing. I'm sure it wouldn't be happy about that. But then take that animal and ride it through a crowd of cheering people who are waving palm branches all around and throwing their coats out in the, out in the street. Now, humanly speaking, there is no way that any human rider could simply jump up on this animal and have it carry him through the crowd in the city, into that city of, with a throng of people cheering. But this little donkey doesn't have an ordinary rider. 
His rider is the Lord of nature, the one who controls the wind and the waves, the one who changes water to wine, multiplies loaves and fishes, gives sight to the blind, makes the lame to walk. This is the one who will return and completely heal all nature from its curse. The choir sang about it. Did we plan that? I think we did. We must have planned that. Creation sings the Father's song. Uh, the second stanza that the choir sang. Creation gazed upon his face, the ageless one in time's embrace, unveiled the Father's plan of reconciling God and man. A second Adam walked the earth whose blameless life would break the curse. He would fix what is broken in nature. Creation longs for his return. Christ, when Christ shall reign upon the earth, the bitter wars that rage are birth pains of a coming age. When he renews the land and the sky, all heaven will sing and earth reply with one resplendent theme, the glories of our God and King. When Christ returns, he's going to make everything that's broken right. And he's going to make the curse go away that's on nature. And it's going to be a beautiful day. Creation is groaning and and longing for that day when peace and harmony will return to it. That day spoken of in Isaiah where he says, the, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now, I wonder what this little colt knew. Uh, Did this little colt know and love his true master for who he is, the Lord of nature? Maybe that is why he did not have to be broken. This little donkey freely and gladly submits to his Lord, the one who is the Prince of Peace. That would make the donkey much smarter and wiser than most of us. How much trouble do we have submitting to the will of Christ? How much do we need to be broken of our own pride and our own selfishness and our own desire to be in control of everything? How much better off would we be if we submitted to the Lord of nature, the one who has come to heal us, uh, to make everything right. How great would it be to be like this donkey, to be used by him, to serve him for his sacred purpose, for his kingdom. We all need a hero to worship and follow. Jesus Christ is the ultimate hero, the one that we should look to, the Holy Savior the humble King, and the healing Lord. Let's pray together.